You're listening to Voice America Kids, now with 33% more active ingredients and no artificial coloring. Stars could shine between the lines If you would let yourself go Find some place you know You can use your words, use your hands You can change the world, just pretend Express yourself, take a chance and you'll see It's time to express yourself, where teens talk and the world listens. Presented by Star Style Productions as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. You'll rock to an hour of adolescent fusion with your teen hosts and on-air reporters. Meet and chat with cool celebrities, exhilarating experts, and tenacious teens with subjects regarding anything and everything that you want to know. It's time to kick off the fun with our star teens. Welcome to Express Yourself. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. And that is, of course, from John F. Kennedy. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Brigitte Gia, and the theme for our show today is Memorial Day Adventures. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity, a top nonprofit honored by GuideStar and great nonprofits. Please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org to make a tax-deductible donation and get more information about how you can be a part of our mission to increase literacy and positive message media. It's always the season for giving, so give big. And so, to really focus on the meaning of Memorial Day, we're going to take a look at The War Prayer by Mark Twain and analyze its meaning. So this is a short story by the famed American author Mark Twain, uh, really analyzing and discussing the meaning of war, what me- war means to us as a society, how the meaning of war and like the kind of overglorification of war has really changed to evolve into what it is today. All right, so here we go. It was a time of great and exalting excitement. The country was up in arms. The war was on. In every breast burned the holy fire of patriotism. The drums were beating, the bands playing, the toy pistols popping, the bunch firecrackers hissing and sputtered, spluttering on every hand and far down the receding and fading spreads of roofs and balconies, a fluttering wilderness of flags flashed in the sun. Daily, the young volunteers marched down the wide avenue, gay and fine in their new uniforms, the proud fathers and mothers and sisters and sweethearts cheering them with voices choked with happy emotion as they swung by. Nightly, the packed meetings listened, panting to patriotic oratory, which stirred the deepest deeps of their hearts, and which they interrupted at briefest intervals with cyclones of applause, tears running down their cheeks the while. The churches, the pastors, preached devotion to flag and country, and invoked the god of battles, beseeching his aid in our good cause in outpouring of fervid eloquence, which moved every listener. It was indeed a glad and gracious time and the half-dozen rash spirits that ventured to disapprove of the war and cast a doubt upon its righteousness straightway got such a stern and angry warning that for their personal safety's sake, they quickly shrank out of sight and offended no more in that way. Sunday morning came. Next day, the battalions would leave for the front. The church was filled. The volunteers were there, their young faces alight with martial dreams. Visions of the stern advancement the gathering momentum, the rushing charge, the flashing sabers, the flight of the foe, the tumult, the enveloping smoke, the fierce pursuit, the surrender. Then home from the war, bronzed heroes welcomed, adored, submerged in golden seas of glory. 
volunteers sat their dear ones, proud, happy, and envied by the neighbors and friends who had no sons and brothers to send forth to the field of honor, there to win for the flag, or failing, die the noble, noblest of noble deaths. Their service proceeded. A war chapter from the Old Testament was read. The prayer, first prayer was said. It was followed by an organ burst that shook the building, and with one impulse the house rose with glowing eyes and beating hearts and poured out that tremendous invocation. God the all-terrible, thou who ordainest, thunder thy clarion and lightning thy sword. Then came the long prayer. None could remember the like of it for passionate pleading and moving and beautiful language. The burden of, burden of its supplication was that an all-ever-merciful and benignant father of us all would watch over our noble young soldiers and aid, comfort, and encourage them in their patriotic work. Bless them, shield them in the day of battle and the hour of peril, bear them in his mighty hand, make them strong and confident, invincible in the bloody onset. Help them to crush the foe, grant them, grant to them and to their flag and country imperishable honor and glory. An aged stranger entered and moved with slow and noiseless step up the main aisle, his eyes fixed upon the minister, his long body clothed in, clothed in a robe that reached to his feet. Head bare, his white hair descending in a frothy cataract to his shoulders, his seamy face unnaturally pale, pale even to ghastliness. With all eyes following him and wondering, he made his silent way. Without pausing, he ascended to the preacher's side and stood there, waiting. With shut lids, the preacher, unconscious of his presence, continued his moving prayer, and at last finished it with the words uttered in fervent appeal. Their arms grant us the victory, O Lord, our God, Father, and protector of our land and flag. Stranger touched his arm, motioned him to step aside, which the startled minister did, and took his place. During some moments, he surveyed the spellbound audience with solemn eyes, in which burned an uncanny light. Then, in a deep voice, he said, Come from the throne, bearing a message from Almighty God. Words smote the house with a shock. If the stranger perceived it, he gave no attention. He has heard the prayer of his servant, your shepherd, and will grant it if such shall be your desire after I, his messenger, shall have explained to you its full import. For it is like unto many of the prayers of men, in that it asks for more than he who utters it is aware of, except he pause and think. God's servant and yours has prayed his prayer. Has he paused and taken thought? Is it one prayer? No, it is two. One uttered, the other not. Both have reached the ear of him who heareth all supplications, the spoken and the unspoken. Ponder this. Keep it in mind. If you would beseech a blessing upon yourself, beware, lest without intent you invoke a curse upon a neighbor at the same time. If you pray for the blessing of rain upon your crop, which needs it, by that act you are possibly praying for a curse upon some neighbor's crop, which may not need rain and can be injured by it. You have heard your servant's prayer, the uttered part of it. I am commissioned of God to put into words the other part of it, that part which, your pa which the pastor and also you in your hearts fervently prayed silently and ignorantly and unthinkingly, God grant that it was so. You heard these words, grant us the victory, O Lord our God. That is sufficient. The whole of the uttered prayer is compact into these pregnant words. Elaborations were not necessary. When you have prayed for victory, you have prayed for many unmentioned results, which follow victory, must follow it, cannot help but follow it. Upon the listening spirit of God, the Father fell, also the unspoken part of the prayer. He commanded me to put it into words. 
listen. O Lord, our Father, our young patriots, idols of our hearts, go forth to battle, be thou near them. With them in spirit, we also go forth from the sweet peace of our beloved firesides to smite the foe. Lord our God, help us to tear their soldiers to bloody shreds with our shells. Help us to cover their smiling fields with the pale forms of their patriot deads. Help us to drown the thunder of the guns with the shrieks of their wounded, writhing in pain. Help us to lay waste their humble homes with a hurricane of fire. Help us to wring the hearts of their unoffending widows with unavailing grief. Help us to turn them out roofless with their little children to wander unfriended the wastes of their desolated land in rags and hunger and thirst. Sports of the sun flames of summer and the icy winds of winter, broken in spirit, worn with travail, imploring thee for the refuge of the grave and denied it. For our sakes who adore thee, Lord, blast their hopes, blight their lives, protract their bitter pilgrimage, make heavy their steps, water their way with their tears, stain the white snow with the blood of their wounded feet. We ask it in the spirit of love of him who is the source of love and who is the ever faithful refuge of the fr- of fr- and friend of all that are sore, beset, and seek his aid with humble and contrite hearts. Amen. After a pause, you have prayed it, and if you still desire it, speak. The messenger of the Most High awaits. Believed afterwards that the man was a lunatic because there was no sense in what he said. All right, and there commences the end of the war prayer. And so I think that the main message of this entire short story is not that we should dishonor our veterans. It's not that we should disregard what they have done. It is more that we should recognize that War is not glory. War is not something beautiful to be had. War is something that is painful, that is, you know, that causes suffering. And that is why we should thank those and, you know, honor those who have gone through battle or who died in battle because they braved all of this suffering in order to, you know, serve our country. And the core message here, of course, that the war prayer has brought about is that the overglorification of war um, takes away from the true pain of war. And so there was a former overglorification of war um, in the past. Uh, in days of old, we had things, you know, we had this idealization of war that was kind of destroyed when World War II came about. And we have works like All Quiet on the Western Front, the things they carried, all of these different books, novels, poetry, um, accounts of the actual war that really destroy this overglorification of war, this concept of war as this beautiful, glorious thing and like people dying is great. And that message has been destroyed by accounts uh, from people who have actually gone through war. I think we value our soldiers more when we understand the true nature of war um, versus when we just have blind glorification and patriotism and, you know, blind support in our soldiers and I think better when the population has an understanding of what war really is. War is pain, war is suffering, war is not something to be taken lightly, because then we better appreciate those who have sacrificed so much to go to war for the right cause. And arguably, you know, there is no, you know, there's never really a right cause for war. We can never determine what cause, what is cause for a war and what isn't cause for a war. And so, you know, ultimately, it's better not to go to war at all. But we have gone to war. We need to understand that, you know, going to war is not a thing of glory. You know, soldiers going don't go off and away from home to go fight because they enjoy it. 
And I think when we understand this concept of, you know, suffering that war brings, we also learn to value our soldiers more. We learn to celebrate Memorial Day as, you know, a true honor bestowed upon the people who have served our country, because we know that they're not going off to a playground, you know, they're not going off to go play in a foreign land. They're going off to fight, to brave all sorts of different dangers, to brave death itself um, in order to fight for a cause that we really believe in. And I think, you know, the problem with the Vietnam War, if we bring up the Vietnam War and what happened. So in the 1960s, we saw a lot of different protests um, against the Vietnam War because people did not think it was a worthy cause to be fighting for. People thought we were meddling in another country's affairs. The war was very controversial. And what happened when the veterans came home from the Vietnam War was that a lot of them were pinpointed as war itself. And so a lot of people felt, you know, very angry towards these veterans. They were not given the proper hero's welcome. They were not respected. They were not honored. And that isn't right. You cannot pinpoint the cause of a war on the veterans that, you know, on the soldiers that fight it. It's not, they just want to serve. It wasn't them. It, was, it may have been the politicians behind the war. It may have been another factor, but you cannot blame the veterans. And it was horrible and all, all people who have gone into service have gone and served our country and fought for our country and perhaps even died for our country. All of them deserve honor. All of them deserve respect, no matter how unpopular the war they fought in was, because they really had no control over that. And so that's just the takeaway I got from the war prayer and from a lot of events that have happened in you know American history. And I think that when you look at the war prayer and you look at the events that have happened, it's really important to keep Memorial Day in our hearts and keep a larger respect for it. And unfortunately, that is all the time we have for this segment. Um, make sure to stick around, support our show and these amazing segments by donating to the Be The Star You Are charity that brings you this program. For more information on how to do this, go to bethestarur.org and follow our blog. I'm Brigitte Gia. More information is at our website at bethestarur.org. And don't go anywhere as we continue our talk and Memorial Day adventures. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. The longer you listen, the later it gets. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back to our uplifting, inspiring program. 
I'm Brigitte Gia, and you are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by the Be The Star You Are charity. For this segment, we will be discussing um, Memorial Day Adventures, and today we have author Kala Devlin on the show. Kala is the author of Tell Me Something Real, a finalist for the Morris Award, and she is a Pushcart nominee and winner of the Best of Blood and Thunder Award, and her stories have been included in numerous literary journals and anthologies. With that, let's welcome Kala onto the show. Hi, Kala. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. It's really exciting to have you here. We're going to have a great segment today. Uh, so let's jump right into some questions. So give us some insight on your debut novel. Uh, what inspired you to write Tell Me Something Real? You know, I grew up right on the border in San Diego, and my mom was a volunteer in a hospital that was right on the beach in Baja, California, in a little town called Ensenada. And I, when I was a kid, I was little. I'm talking between the ages of four and eight. My sisters and I would drive with her, and we would just wait while she worked. And I don't remember um, the hospital itself. I don't remember seeing anybody who was sick or anything like that. But I remember just sitting in the courtyard, and it was so beautiful. And we were right by the beach, but we weren't allowed to leave. It was like a hostage situation. We were stuck <laughs> and trapped and bored out of our minds. Because you can only paint your toenails so many times in one afternoon and <laughs> read the same fashion magazine. So, you know, I whenever I would take a road trip later on, I always thought about those drives across the border and how much, you know, the, the ocean and the long lines at the border, all of that just really stayed with me. And so... When I was, I was in grad school, I studied creative writing in college and also then I went on and got a master's in fine arts. And I kept thinking, every time I got in the car, I should write about a hospital, like write about that journey. And that's how the novel was born. So basically, anytime I daydreamed in a car during a road trip, I kept coming back to this idea. And then eventually, I populated the hospital with my own characters and my own story. Wow, that's that's really fascinating. Yeah, you know, when you're on a road trip, it's hard to find things to do. And I, yes. I, I feel like, you know, everybody has their, like, imaginary world that they really build. And it's so cool that you were able to take this world and, you know, take it to the next level and make it a book available for everybody. That's, that's really awesome. And so what do you think is really the core message of Tell Me Something Real? And what do you think readers can hope to find within the novel that may affect them emotionally? I want every single reader to know at the end of the book, when they put that book down, that they are worthy of being loved. Um, Because I really think what this story is about is a family that's imploding. I mean, the mom is sick and they're just they're just trying to get through the day and then they meet another family at this hospital and they come and stay with them and in the middle of all that this giant family secret is revealed and it kind of shatters both families in many ways it's just you know a huge revelation and the narrator Vanessa she's just this you know really shy um, musical really deep girl she's 16 and she's falling in love for the first time and all she wants to do is play the piano and this really rocks her to the very core like she really questions her self-worth and she questions is she worth is she worth love at all does she know how to love can she be loved 
And I think that the entire family feels certain degrees of that. And ultimately, I, I do think that the core message is that, yes, every single one of us deserves to be, you know, purely unconditionally loved. Oh, wow. That That is a beautiful message. Honestly, I feel like, you know, it's so rare. You see all like, the news these days and how awful some things are going and like you know we've had a lot of terrible things happen and you know at the end of the day we just all really need that message that you're providing within your book like everybody really deserves to be loved and I think that's beautiful and so um so, like, everyone kind of wonders if they're loved and everyone really struggles finding their place in the world. And so when you were growing up, um, you maybe, like, discovered writing. Was there anyone for you who was, like, a support base or, like, someone who encouraged you to find your place um, by writing? Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, um, I was super dyslexic when I was a kid, so I didn't learn how to read until third grade. And it's rough. Uh, it was it was it was hard, and in California um, at the time, I don't I don't know if it's different now. I don't live in California anymore, um, but you know there were there were kind of tracks like you had the honors kids, you had the college prep kids, and you had the kids. It's like hmm, we don't know what's gonna we don't know how you're gonna turn out, so just do your <laughs> best. And then we had the kids that were kind of um, you know who had been in and out of special ed or or you know had it had not performed academically. And because I was dyslexic, that's the track I was on, like all through all through middle school. And then I went to high school, and um, you know, when I finally did learn how to read, I loved books. Like my local library was was my refuge. I would just go and I would just read and read and read. And I really, I loved to swim. I loved the beach, and I loved books. And I had um, this great English teacher when I was a freshman in high school. And, you know, it was, it was, again, like this, and they called it C-track, the track of, you know, the kids, you know, like kind of a good luck to you. We'll see how you do in the world, but we doubt <laughs> you're going to go to college track. And he, um, he taught us Shakespeare's sonnets, and he had us write all this poetry, and I loved it. I just cranked it out, and I felt so alive and on fire and inspired. And then I turned, I turned in like three times as many poems that, that, was, that were, you know, assigned. And then... He called me um, up at the end of class and wanted to talk to me. And he's, he asked me, you know, what I was doing in that class. I clearly loved, I clearly loved writing. I was clearly more skilled than anyone had thought I was um, by putting me in that class. And he got me tested, and I got to test into the college prep classes. And that's really why I went to college, and that's really why I became a writer. If it hadn't been for that English teacher noticing me when I was furiously writing what I'm sure were terrible poems, but still I was so in love with the whole idea of writing and poetry. You know, he saved me um, in many ways. Like I would never have had the confidence to pick up a pen and a notebook or sit at a laptop if he hadn't told me um, that he thought, you know, he thought he saw something in me. He thought I was special in, in some way, at least I could have a more of a future than what I had in that classroom. Oh man, that is absolutely beautiful. Wow, that is that is quite the origin story and what what an what an amazing mentor, yeah. And he like was great. You know, yeah, that is oh man. <laughs> and you know, like the this story that you've just told, I 
feel like that's that's so inspiring for people who are on that track, you know, people who think they're on that track, people who have been put into a category as, oh, you're never going to go anywhere because, you know, all you need is that one little push as we've seen in your story. All you need is kind of that galvanizing factor. And I think that's definitely really inspiring to maybe people who are listening to this show who, you know, think they aren't going to make anything of themselves, but like, you, know, you your book was finalist in, you know, a debut novel award and like you've gotten so far and that's absolutely amazing. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Oh, thank you. That is absolutely wonderful. And so you've won many, many awards for your book and for, you know, other works that you've published that you've gotten out there. So what is the Morris Award and what is the Pushcast nominee? Uh, could you tell us about how this happened and how you feel about it? Oh, sure. Well, it's it's still really, I mean, it's it's a dream come true. It's, it's pretty amazing. I would have been happy to see my name on the spine of a book and anything more than that kind of felt like gravy. And I've been so <laughs> fortunate. I mean, my publisher, Simon & Schuster, um, they really believe in me and that you just there's nothing more satisfying than that having that kind of relationship and I have a wonderful literary agent. Um, but the Morris Award is um, through the Young Adult Services um, Department of the American Library Association. It's, they call, they're, they're called YALSA and they do an award every year um, for the best debut novel and they, they pick five finalists and then choose from there. So I was incredibly lucky to be a finalist and um the other books were extraordinary i read all of them and i've met all the authors and they are amazing i am so honored to be in their company and um and that i did not win but my favorite book that i read last year did and that's the serpent king um which is just which is a wonderful wonderful novel um so by jeff zetner so that's the that's the Morris Award, and which means basically that you can find all five of the finalist books in any young adult section in most libraries, which is pretty amazing. Wow. Um, and then the Push Cart is a short story award, and so um, and so actually, what's so what's so interesting about this book is I started out writing short stories. I didn't know how to write a novel, but I knew how to write a short story. That's what I learned really um, really well in college. So I wrote a bunch of short stories that became this book, but the short story that was nominated for a Pushcart Prize in the end became the first chapter of Tell Me Something Real. So it was just a really early version. Um, so that's so that's what the Pushcart Prize is. And I, I did not, again, it wasn't a winner. I was, um, I was nominated, which was a huge honor. Mm-hmm. Um, so those, those are those two prizes. Oh, that is... That's incredible. I love the I love the way like your your short stories progressed and yeah, as you mentioned, like that that one short story that you know got nominated. That's wonderful, and then it like moved on to being the first chapter of the book. That's incredible. That is, and like um, you know, you've you've worked on these short stories, and you mentioned just now that you know you specialize or you started out specializing in more shorter works. So what do you think really is the difference between writing a novel and writing a shorter work now that you've been through both of them? Well, I think um, I, I just did not know how to write a novel. I mean, I really had to figure <laughs> it out. I wrote so many drafts of Tell Me Something Real. I mean, it's ridiculous how many times I wrote that book and rewrote that book. So part of it was just learning how to take a story and make it longer and longer and longer. 
Um, what's so nice about a short story is that you get to read it in one sitting and it's tight and you know it's they define a short story as having a beginning a middle and an end and then a moment of transformation and so it's always this you know these wonderful you know shorter pieces like I think probably two of my favorite short story writers are Jemba Lahiri and Alice Monroe because they just make so much magic in so few pages um and then with the novel, I mean, it is a long haul. It really, it's basically, it's like, are you going to do, are you going to sprint and do a really short run? Or are you going to do a marathon? And um, it, it, is, it is not glamorous or easy. It's a lot of like long days in yoga pants and a messy ponytail <laughs> and just really coffee, pushing through. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Yeah, no, exactly. And it's just really pushing through. And I, I, so I really do think it's endurance and it's just really wanting those characters to stay awake and alive on the page for, for long enough to really tell a full story, which many people do so beautifully in a short story. And I, for me, I, I still write a little bit of short fiction, but when I start out, I know very early on, these are characters that are going to be with me for a long time, or these are characters it's going to be a shorter journey um and it's all instinct it really is it's just all you just kind of feel it while you're typing i'm not i'm pretty cavalier i don't plot out i don't outline i just sit down and write and see where it takes me so there's some there's many pros and there are many cons to that to that approach but i've tried every different way and that really is how i just write um it's kind of like you know it's kind of like um discovering your relationship with someone and like yes. or like you know making a friend or something that kind of thing writing well, a book is like falling in love it really exactly. is it's, it's very similar just a journey yeah. <laughs> all right well thank you so much Kala for this amazing segment and you know this discussion about your work and like how you've gotten you know to the point um tell me something real and unfortunately we are out of time for this segment but we will be continuing continuing our fabulous conversation during the next segment so audience stay tuned and be sure be sure to visit kaladevlin.com for more information on kala and her novel i'm brigitte gia and please visit our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos descriptions links vlogs and more also, please visit our charity site at bethestarur.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash bethestarur. Stay right here with us as we continue our amazing discussion on Memorial Day Adventures. Show the world your smile. Be the star you are. If you are ready to be inspired, energized, and edutained, you've come to the right place with our two life-changing programs at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's our lifestyle show, Star Style, Be The Star You Are, with hosts Cynthia Bryan and Heather Brittany. On Tuesdays at noon Pacific, teens talk and the world listens on Express Yourself Teen Radio on Voice America Kids. Come play with us at BeTheStarYouAreRadio.com. We didn't invent Kid Talk. We perfected it. And at a very young age, you're listening to Voice America Kids.
You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Brigitte Gia, and our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. Today on Express Yourself, we have Memorial Day Adventures. And so on the show for this segment, we have a continued conversation with our star guest, author Kala Devlin. Kala's debut novel, Tell Me Something New, is now available. It was a finalist for the William C. Morris Debut Award, uh, which we talked a little bit about in the first segment and is absolutely, or uh, and is absolutely amazing and that she won this nomination and this is her debut novel and it's absolutely wonderful. And her novel is published by Simon and Schuster slash Athenium Books. And here's a little bit more about the book, just a short little blurb. Um, here we go. There are three beautiful blonde Babcock sisters, gorgeous and foul-mouthed Adrienne, observant and shy Vanessa, and the youngest and best love, Marie. Their mother is ill with leukemia, and the girls travel with her to a Mexican clinic across the border from their San Diego home so she can receive alternative treatments. Vanessa is the middle child, a talented pianist who is trying to hold her family together despite the painful losses, loss that they all know is inevitable. As she and her sisters navigate first loves and college dreams, they are completely unaware that an illness far more insidious than cancer poisons their home. Their world is about to shatter under the weight of an incomprehensible betrayal. With that amazing um, plot, just like a little summary for the audience of her amazing book, let's welcome Kala back on the show. Hi, Kala. Hi, thanks for having me. Again, thanks for being here. Um, we were talking in the last segment about how, you know, writing a book and like sticking with the characters is really similar to falling in love and going through that journey with someone else and like kind of like a relationship you have with the books. So um, I just really wanted to know, like, how do you how do you so we learned in the first segment with you that, you know, you've developed these characters. You were inspired by, um, you know, your mother's volunteer work and your home in San Diego, really, um, to create these characters and, you know, the long road trips and something, finding something to do. And so I just want to know what, what is your writing process? You know, how did you get that world from in your head to the page? Do you have a time when you write the best or, you know, a playlist you listen to? Uh, please do enlighten me. <laughs> yes. No, I am. Um, so I, so I don't believe in writer's block. I think that, <laughs> I think if, if I just, if I work every day, then I can move through feeling stuck about anything. So, and some days are terrible. Some days I'll sit for hours and I'll get a paragraph, but other than I work through it, and then the next day I can crank out 20 pages. So I really do believe it's just just doing some kind of work every day. And I'm, I write best in the morning, but I'm not a morning person. So it's a big haul of getting <laughs> up, pouring coffee, then waking up and writing. Um, but that tends, when I'm just waking up and the caffeine is hitting, that's really when I feel like I produce my absolute best work. Um, I love music, and I am someone who always, if I'm in a cafe, I have headphones on and I'm writing to music. And at home, I have, you know, I have all everything all all geared up. I make playlists for different characters, 
for different um, for different projects, for different chapters, and I will listen to them over and over again. I drive my family crazy. They're like, please, really, do we have to listen to this again? And um, <laughs> I'm like, yes, I'm in it right now. I'm almost done with the book. You have to let me listen to this. So, um, so I'm really, I very, I very much think that that music helps for me, my creative process. And also, I can't read a lot while I'm writing the first draft of a book. Um, I just, it, it kind of muddles my mind too much. So I end up watching a lot more TV and movies and I take long walks list with headphones on, just really thinking through what I want to do. But I think film and music are equally as inspiring for me as, as is reading. Yeah, that's like, I feel like maybe, you know, that idea that you come into contact with a lot of media. So it like really helps you embrace your own creativity. And yeah, I can definitely relate to the morning thing, maybe not on a great level, but um, I, this today we had an essay due in my English honors class and I, I just couldn't write at night. So I decided I'd get up at four in the morning and just oh, man. get through it. Yeah. And I wake up and, you know, like, I just started typing. I was like, okay, you know, I think I can do this. So yeah, it's it's not on a great level. You know, I haven't written any books or any like long works, but you know, I can kind of relate to that. You just get up in the morning, you're like, okay, coffee out, <laughs> start writing. And so that's, you know, that's definitely like, you know, kind of representative, I think the word is, of your great work ethic, I feel like, where you you know, you get up early and you're able to crank out the pages even though you're not exactly a morning person. So I think that's really great. And so, um, Kala, you know, you um, we talked a little during break and you mentioned that you really like working with teens and, you know, maybe thank you for being on the show and working with me and, you know, um, being a role model to our teen audience. And so what advice do you have when you meet young writers who are really like, you know, who look... Um, at you as a role model and really ask you about the writing process? Well, I think first and foremost, every one of us has a story inside of us, every single one. And I think that, um, you know, sometimes it feels like people may not want to listen to your story for a variety of reasons. I mean, I certainly have at times felt that way. And I know a lot of teens in particular, I was doing a library event um, a few months ago, and I had several kids say, but no one's going to want to listen to anything I say or what I write. I'm like, well, why on earth wouldn't they? That's and not I true think, at all. Yeah, not true at all, but I do think it's um, it can be intimidating or scary, and it's a huge risk to create something. It, I mean, it doesn't, it could be a painting, it could be a short story, it could be a poem. It's a huge risk to share that part of yourself with someone else, much less a lot of people. And so I think for any aspiring writers, what I really want to say is, first of all, your story is important. The world wants your story. And if you feel like maybe you don't have the right audience right now, you will find your audience. I fully, truly believe that. And the most important thing is that you, te- that you tell your story. Uh, definitely. And I feel like since a lot of teens are really you know, trying to find their place in the world. And I know I have a little bit of struggles, you know, with finding where I fit in with society. I think I think that's a great message to really get out to teens who may be listening or teens who are just finding their place in the world. You know, someone wants to hear that story. And I think, I think that's a wonderful message. And so, um, yeah, I think it's definitely uh, what you said about, like, you know, it being hard to get out your story to other people to an audience and so do you think it's like 
hard to break out onto the publishing scene and you know like how did you feel publishing your debut novel and really getting out there and sending your work into the wider world well i was i was very very lucky because i found a literary agent um early on before i'd actually even finished the book finished writing the book um i was about halfway done and she and i have worked so closely together for years her name is Faye, and she really is you know, my the, my partner in writing, my champion, my cheerleader. She is so smart um, and supportive. And I started this started out as you know, writing this collection of linked short stories. And we actually tried to send it out to publishers in that in that format. And you know, we got a lot of good feedback. But every single publisher said, "We don't want short stories. Come back to us when this is a novel." <laughs> I was thinking. <laughs> Goodness, I don't know how to write a novel. So, I know how to write short stories. So I worked and worked and worked. And in that process, um, I figured out whose story it was. Out of all these short stories, I mean, the bottom one is I couldn't pick a character. I love them all too much. And it became really clear as I reworked it. It was so obvious that it was Vanessa's story, but I had to kind of work my way to that. And when I finished it, and we were ready. Um, I have, you know, I was so, so fortunate because the book went to auction, which means more than one publisher wanted to publish it. Ooh, and amazing. it was amazing. Oh, I had, I talked to some brilliant editors who I was just really kind of blown away by, like publishing houses I've always dreamed of publishing with. Um, but when I spoke to my editor, her name's Reka at Simon & Schuster, I just felt immediately like she understood exactly what I was trying to do she was just it was just an immediate connection and I am so um happy and grateful to have a home with this for my book and you know when you spend all that time in your head it's really easy to question as you're writing does is anybody else going to care about these characters as much as I do and um and I really I'm just so grateful that that people have been reading the book and connecting with it. And it's been wonderful talking to readers, especially teen readers, um, about what the book has meant to them. It's really, because that's why we're in this. That's why we, we make any kind of art, is we just hope yeah. that we can emotionally connect with someone um, and move them. And I, so I'm really, really happy about that. That's really, yeah. And it's, you know, it must be so nice to like, you know, work with someone who really gets you as well and, you know, puts a lot of faith into your work. And definitely, I feel like, yeah, that message where, like, you create art in order to express yourself and convey convey yourself to an audience, I think that's absolutely wonderful. That is the true meaning of art, really. And so you mentioned, you know, finding a home for your book and, you know, discovering that home and, you know, really settling into it and being able to get this book out to so many people and, you know, earning all of these awards and being nominated for so many brilliant things. Um, but in regards to yourself, you also mentioned that, you know, you don't live in California anymore and your characters have kind of moved somewhere else with you. Um, so how do you feel about, you know, your current home and what do you think the difference is between living in California and living somewhere else? Has that changed the way you write or the characters that you come up with? You know, it really has. I mean, I'm from California. I lived in Portland for a while, and um, and then I moved right back to California because I, I love it so much. Um, <laughs> I was actually just there for a long weekend. I just got home last night. 
But I live in Iowa now, which is about, I live in Des Moines, Iowa, which is as different from San Francisco, California as you can get. Um, so it, it definitely, you know, being in a, a state where, not only a state, but in a time zone that was really unfamiliar to me, you know, culturally, the landscape, it's very, very different than being on the water. And um, it, it's much quieter it's it has a very quiet beauty to it um it's much smaller it's much calmer like there's not a bunch of people everywhere i go um and so i think more than anything is it's given me a much quieter life that allows me to write where if i were still in san francisco i think i'd still be working on tell me something real i don't know if i would have had time to finish it as quickly (laughs) as and not such a busy city I, i know it's such a busy city and it's everything um you have to work so hard to afford to live there and I have kids and um, I want to be, you know, I want to be a good mom, a good writer. I want to be able to connect with um, my community and Iowa has been a really special welcoming place and it has a really big book and literary community because um, a big writing program at the University of Iowa is called the Iowa Writers Workshop. So I know a lot of people who went there and I have a great writing group um, here that have, they're like, they're my best friends, they're my posse, and we all read each other's work, and we all publish a lot. But in living in Iowa, not only did I write Tell Me Something Real, I was finally able to finish it, but I have another book coming out in September, because it's just a really kind of creative, calm, introspective life here. So I'm not at the beach every day. I'm not like doing my four-mile <laughs> walk down the beach every morning. I'm writing instead. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I'm from the San Francisco Bay Area as well, and yeah, I can, ooh, it's pretty busy in that city. Busy. Oh, man, so much traffic. <laughs> but yeah, that's like, that's really, that's really something very interesting is that you're able to kind of, you know, pull away from the city. Because I feel like a lot of people would think, oh, you know, the city, so much stuff is happening there. There must be a lot of, like, you know, creative influences and like so many people you can observe and just write about but yeah I guess sometimes it really is better to just you know take a step back from that life and kind of like calm down really focus on yourself and you know from from within you I guess is where the stories come (laughs) yeah exactly just such a just breathe (laughs) and so yeah you mentioned that uh, you know you have a family you have kids and you know you also have this amazing writing career that you've built up, uh, how do you handle the two, you know, just kind of like, you know, where you put your focus on things, how you split up your time? I, um, I, well, it's, I write when they're in school and um, my <laughs> oldest daughter is, is just about to turn 13 and she's actually an incredible writer. Um, she uses the Wattpad app and writes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and um and she's also she she reads she reads so much and then my youngest is in first grade and she's a big reader too so we're definitely a house of books and reading um my daughter in her room has a big poster that says write something every day even if it sucks and oh, that's we, brilliant so we, we all kind of live we all kind of live by that we always all of us usually have a book tucked under an arm when we're going when we're going out and there um my new book that's coming out in the fall is dedicated to them and my oldest actually helped me um figure out what the title should be so it's you know i think that they feel ownership of it too i mean it's definitely the entire family has 
allowed me to write. Like we, they've they've really been incredibly supported. My supportive, my entire like extended family, and my immediate family. And I feel like it's they've they've really championed me from the beginning. So they're very patient, especially when I'm in the middle of you know not sleeping and trying to finish a draft and get it turned <laughs> in, and you know walking around like a like a crazy person talking about <laughs> characters. I'm like, oh, you need you need lunch, don't you? Sorry, I'm thinking about this book instead. <laughs> so. Oh, juggling everything. Yeah. Man, that is awesome, though. You know, you have, you've mentioned so many, like, people who are part of your support base and who do, yeah, like, champion you, like, your family and then your agent and just all of these different people. And that's, I think that's so wonderful. I think, you know, at the end of the day, we are strong. And then our support base is also very important, you know, to make up who we are. And I think that it's, you know, it's wonderful that you have the support base that you can draw all of your love from. And that's, that's brilliant. You know, they're just supporting you and being there for you. And I think that's absolutely awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kala, for having this wonderful conversation with us. And I really like, thank you for being on the show. This has been absolutely great. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time, but it was amazing to have you on. Uh, audience, please make sure to visit Kala's website at www.kaladevlin.com to learn more about Tell Me Something Real and her new works. And be sure to just check out her website and really give her a lot of support. Um, during the break, also be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for Be the Star You Are 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Ch- Charity. There's more information under events at our website at btsya.org. And please visit expressyourselfteenradio.com for more information about our show. Um, I'm Brigitte Gia, and when we come back, we will continue our inspiring conversation on Memorial Day Adventure. Are you a teen interested in becoming a radio personality? The Positive Message Outreach Program of Be The Star You Are Charity trains dedicated young people to be reporters and hosts on Express Yourself Teen Radio. Visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com for information. That's ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Don't forget to tune in to Express Yourself Tuesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Kids, where teens talk and the world listens. Sometimes we may sound strange, but remember, we're just kids with opinions. You're listening to Voice America Kids. You're listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids channel, where teens talk and the world listens. Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Now, back to our star teens. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself. I'm Brigitte Gia, and today's hour is all about Memorial Day adventures. And so, just a little bit of background about Memorial Day. It originated as Decoration Day after the Civil War, and this kind of merged from a separate Union side and Confederate side commemoration tradition um, into one day to kind of honor those who died in battle. And so, that's kind of the background of Memorial Day in America. Um, 
And it's a great tradition. It's to honor, again, those who died in battle, those who really served our country. And it's kind of more of a worldwide event than just singularly an American event. So a lot of people uh, make sure to honor their veterans and those who died for their country uh, on Memorial Day. And it's a great event to just remember what people have done for us uh, to exist um, in our respective nations. And for this segment, I'd like to just talk a little bit more about the adventures that I personally have had revolving around Memorial Day in order to really dig deeper into the meaning behind the day. And so I grew up in Canada, and in Canada there is also Memorial Day, um, and we have a tradition of remembrance poppies, which was inspired by the poem In Flanders Fields by Canadian Lieutenant Colonel John McCrae, and this this like remembrance poppies thing uh, where you take an artificial poppy and pin it to your, I think it's your lapel, your chest area, um, was initially adopted by the American Legion to honor American soldiers who died serving the U.S. in World War One. And now it's kind of a common practice to honor soldiers' service in a lot of the British uh, Commonwealth countries. So uh, that's just what people do in Canada um, as a common tradition to really honor the soldiers who have died in battle for the country. And again, it was first used to honor, you know, U.S. soldiers as well. And it's now used across the world in a lot of British Commonwealth countries, such as Canada, New Zealand, Australia, etc. And so it's just kind of a sort of more widespread, you know, across the world international tradition that I think is really cool. I actually do have the poem here, so I will go ahead and read that real quick. Uh, It goes like this. In Flanders fields, the poppies blow uh, between the crosses row on row that mark her place and in the sky. The larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders fields. Pick up our quarrel with the foe. To you, from failing hands we throw. The torch be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. So um, personally, when I look at this poem, I interpret it as, you know, um, a kind of respect to those who have died, a, uh, a kind of, you know, acknowledging of their lives and what they felt when they were alive. There was that one line where it was, uh, we felt, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved. And so these were real human beings who you know, went through life and experienced all of the things that we as individuals experience when we live our daily lives. And they went to war and they risked it all and they fought and died for our country. So I just think that that poem really symbolizes what it means to be a soldier, what it means to respect our soldiers and honor them. And I think it's a perfect poem to kind of be the inspiration behind the remembrance poppy tradition that we see across the world. And so for me personally, my first experience with Memorial Day um, was actually in preschool. I had just heard about Memorial Day and not sure if it was because I was just confused or I didn't hear right, but when the teacher explained Memorial Day, I thought that it meant it was a day where everybody just fought each other. So I was very, very confused and I refused to go to school until my mom said, no, this is a day when you honor people, when you honor your soldiers who have died in the war. It's not where you're going to school and fighting your classmates. 
And so I realized that as a kid and I was like, oh, okay, this holiday is something to be, you know, something to be revered, uh, something to keep in my mind and something to not be afraid of. So I think when we look at the price of war and we really contemplate, um, contemplate, you know, going to war and the lives that are lost in the war, you have to take a step back and really honor our soldiers and honor those who went to war, fought for us and died. And so now it's time to say farewell, sadly. Uh, we do give our thanks to Star Style Productions, Cynthia O'Brien, Be The Star You Are, and our Voice America Kids crew, especially our engineer, Matt. To our guests and reporters from across the world, and thank you, our listeners, for making us a top-rated program. Since it's Memorial Day, thank you to all of the people who have served in, um, in our military and helped support our country, helped support the world, really, and make the world a better place, defending our country, defending our values. I'm Brigitte Gia, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teens talk and the world listens. For information on our creative community, go to btsya.org and our main site at bethestarur.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, honor those who are serving, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself. Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself, produced by Star Style Productions, LLC, as an international outreach program of Be The Star You Are charity. For more information about our show, be sure to visit ExpressYourselfTeenRadio.com. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, when teens talk and the world listens on the Voice America Kids channel. Until then, remember to express yourself. Stars that shine between the lines if you would let yourself